Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At The Movies, microbiologist and science communicator Dr Susie Wiles suffers a pandemic backlash. Part of the communist movement, I think. Um, Train to light. Susie's science does not align with our truths. Spy novelist John le Carre comes clean with Errol Morris. There came a point in my life where I seemed to be offered the crossroads. I could have become a really bad guy. And mercifully, I found a home for my larceny. And two concert movies, 40 years apart, show us how music can move us from a big screen. Hi. i got a tape I want to play. Tell us about that and can it protect the population? Okay, so it's a vaccination strategy, it's not a disease strategy. If we let this go through, we won't have enough hospital beds, we won't have enough intensive care beds and we won't have enough ventilators. People will die, won't they? Yes, it's insane. Back during the ancient history, pandemic days of anxiety, lockdowns and vaccine campaigns, There was one voice, apart from the Prime Minister and the Director General of Health, who felt like a ubiquitous presence on our screens and on our radios. Dr Susie Wiles, a microbiologist from the University of Auckland, acclaimed researcher into infectious diseases and an award-winning science communicator, was never an official part of the COVID communications campaign. But her tireless willingness to say yes to every media offer of airtime, over 2,000 interviews over two years, helped hammer home important lessons about the risks to public health and meant that she was critical to the success of the first wave of Aotearoa's response. It also meant that when the public opinion tide turned, she had a target on her back. The new film, Misinformation, is an extension of a short documentary that was put online in 2020 as part of the excellent Loading Docks scheme. That was a much more celebratory story than the one we have now. Director Gwen Isaac continued to follow Wiles through 2021, culminating in the bizarre parallels of a New Zealander of the Year award at the same time as the hate mail and online harassment was becoming almost unbearable. Susie Wiles uh, on the TV, yeah, she's made a few mistakes. I think Susie Wiles has shown a lot of care, a lot of compassion. I've, I've seen her, and you hear what she says, but like, I could tell you about it. It's not science, is it? Very communicative, very technical, but very 
easy to understand. I have scientists in my family and they totally disagree with what she is saying. And personally, I don't like her as a as a character. Well, she's very out there, which is fantastic because she's obviously her own person. Part of the communist movement, I think. Um, trained to lie. Susie's science does not align with our truths. Wiles is a paradoxical figure. On one hand, she stubbornly insists on getting up at Sparrow Fart to try and school breakfast television hosts about the nature of infectious diseases, and at the same time, she protests that she hates to be the centre of attention and wishes she'd never said yes to being in a documentary. Before COVID, the reasons why she was such a public figure were clear. Her bioluminescent superbugs lab at the University of Auckland is chronically underfunded, and anything she can do to draw attention to it helps meet the growing shortfalls. In the film, she tells some Victoria University students how every fee for public speaking she ever received is donated back to her lab. But there's also the fact that she's really good at it. Science communication, that is. Not many people are. So why shouldn't she continue to do something that she's excellent at? Well, it appears that the science community are conflicted. A loud, opinionated, pink-haired media star can't possibly be a good scientist at the same time. I'll leave you to discuss why those conclusions are held by so many on so little evidence. A lot of the applications that I've submitted over the last five years that were rejected are all really relevant right now. For years, nearly 10 years, I've been trying to get funding for a project looking at how um, bacteria evolved to become more infectious. (laughs) This is, you know, so relevant in the pandemic. I was quite shaken by misinformation, largely the reminders of that anxious time in early 2020 when we knew so little and feared so much. I hadn't quite realised the extent to which I've suppressed my own emotions around that episode, choosing to remember the unexpected positivity of the first lockdown and then the heady COVID-free days when we were the only country in the world to live life in relatively normal circumstances. But then the film and the country takes a turn. Opposition to the COVID response gets louder and less reasonable. Conspiracy theories take hold in the minds of people who once upon a time might have known better. People in government were relatively protected from the abuse that followed, but Wiles was independent and on her own. One day historians will use this film to tell the story of New Zealand's role in this dark period in world history. Somehow the greatest information technology advance ever has become this vehicle for misinformation, fantasy, bitterness and rage. Not for everyone, but for a few. The examples of the abuse that Wiles received during that period are apparently all genuine and they are deeply offensive and deeply depressing. Instead of enlightenment, the internet has encouraged some people to forget the essential humanity of everyone on the other end of a tweet, or an email, or a phone message. You kiss your mother with that mouth, I wanted to say to some of them. But Wiles is mostly resolute in the face of the torrents of hate spewed her way. Standing up to bullying emboldens her, but for her caught-in-the-barrage family... There are mixed feelings. Easiest response to that is to 
set up a rule in your inbox that right, sends okay, everything so from her directly to the deleted file. Okay. Yeah, so I don't like that as an answer. Right. <laughs> if we just move the stuff to the deleted file and we don't see whether the behavior is escalating, then there is no way to intervene, right? Yeah, potentially Before, you're putting yourself at risk, right? Yeah. Speaking on an issue is going to lead to a lot of unpleasant stuff. Where she is, is this is something important and you're trying to silence me, right? And that, you know, I'm part of, I'm part of the world of men that's, that's silencing women and, and which I don't want to be part of. Yeah. Where will it lead, though? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. It'll... Misinformation is rated M for offensive language, and believe me, some of it aimed at Ms. Wiles is very offensive indeed. The film is in select cinemas across the Motu now. When I was first in Army Intelligence, I'd conducted a lot of interviews, which were also interrogations. Immediately in the relationship, there is a dependence upon me, the interrogator. Is your mother okay? Do you want me to make a call to your home? It's the bonding, real or artificial, that opens the discussion. First of all, a statement that I'm the only person you've got. Establishing a dependence? Establishing their dependence on the interrogator, yes. Well, you want something to be expressed that may not be true, and you know it's not true. That's a beginning. In the Pigeon Tunnel, one of the great documentary interviewers takes on one of the great obfuscators, a professional yarn spinner who has survived interviews for 60 years by relying on some well-rehearsed anecdotes and carefully contrived contradictions. The filmmaker is Errol Morris, famous for his cross-examinations of characters like Stephen Hawking, Donald Rumsfeld, Robert McNamara and Steve Bannon. Also, topics as diverse as pet cemeteries and the abuses at the Abu Ghraib prison. At one point in the early 80s, his film career stalled and he made a living as a private investigator and he still brings that tactical ingenuity to bear on his subjects. He's a good foil then for the spy novelist John le Carré, real name David Cornwall, in 2020, Morris arranged a series of interviews with Cornwall, who was then 89 years old. He died in December of that year. Usually I have absolutely no idea of where to begin, but you gave me an idea of where to begin. And what was that? You asked me about the nature of our relationship. It went further than that, I think. It said, who are you? Because I've looked at much of your work. Sometimes you're a spectral figure, sometimes you're God, and sometimes you're present. I needed to know who I was talking to. Were you my friend across the fire? Were you a stranger on a bus? Who are you? Cornwall had been a spy for MI6 in Berlin in the early 60s and left the service disillusioned by the number of Nazis he saw walking around on both sides of the Berlin Wall, their freedom undisturbed because the world had moved on to another, colder war. He took up the pen 
and with the spy who came in from the cold began a series of novels that for many people are the perfect spy stories, a long way from the glamour of James Bond. Le Carre's spies are often morally dubious, damaged people, and in The Pigeon Tunnel, Cornwall talks about the attraction of betrayal, the addiction of duplicity, that feeling of being at the centre of something when you're really just a pawn being moved randomly around a chessboard. It takes a certain kind of broken person to become a spy, he argues, someone whose character doesn't line up with regular society, but who still has a desperate need to belong to something. It turns out he was describing himself. Cornwall's father, Ronnie, was an inveterate confidence trickster and minor criminal, meaning that the family was always broke, often on the run, but, as young David found out, giddy with the excitement of it all. People loved Ronnie to the end of his days, even people he'd robbed. When he was on stage beguiling people, he absolutely believed in what he was doing and saying. These spasms of immense charm and persuasiveness were his moments of feeling real. Son, when I'm judged, as judged I shall surely be. I shall be judged on how I treated you and your brother Tony. That will be God's will. God was a big pal of his. Whether he believed in God is mysterious, but he was certain God believed in him. Unlike his father, Cornwall eventually made good use of his imagination and his ability to read people. He estimates that Ronnie spent about seven years in jail during his lifetime. Cornwall, in the film, is a charming rogue in his own right. He professes to be there to tell the whole truth. I've nothing to hide at my age, he says. But then make sure that certain personal topics are off limits. The business with his father has been well traversed over decades of interviews, and many of those stories are now polished to a shine. But Morris perseveres and eventually makes a breakthrough. Some real emotion emerges behind the glint of the storyteller's eye. I don't think confronting you is the right way to put it. But there was something that you said that I found curious and worth further examination. Maybe this is an interrogation. Maybe I am self-deceived. I can't imagine that as an interrogator or an interviewer, you aren't also in part looking for yourself. I don't think that we really can penetrate people very much. But we can form imaginings about them, and then we relate to them. Morris is a frustrated director of fiction, and he can't help but theatricalise everything. Music, recreations with actors, in some cases recreations of things that never happened, tricks of memory... One of the backgrounds of a Cornwall interview features bizarrely angled mirrors as if bringing to life his subject's fractured psyche. I love all this, but for some it might be too much, especially when Cornwall's mellifluous voice is already so easy on the ear. 
and the film leans a lot on the books and the BBC television adaptations of them, which just makes you want to sit down and watch them all over again. Cornwall is insightful about other men. His opinions of women go mostly unremarked, but rather less so about himself. I don't know what love is, he says when he's asked whether he loved his father. He has obviously spent far less time interrogating himself than he did his Cold War targets or the creatures of his imagination that filled his wonderful books. By the way, Ronnie sued you. Yes, he did. I gave an interview to London Weekend Television. I omitted to say that I owed everything to him. I didn't want to give Ronnie the credit. Why should I find a line that said I owed it all to my father? But the reality probably is, in many ways, that I do. The Pigeon Tunnel is rated M for dangerous behaviour and violence and is streaming now on Apple TV+. Hi. i got a tape I want to play. When Talking Heads and director Jonathan Demme's crew gathered at the Pantages Theatre in Los Angeles, California in December 1983, the band had been together for nine years and made five albums. As a live act, they were at the peak of their powers, but once the film was released, they would never go out on tour again. When Taylor Swift played three shows at the SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California in August this year, she had been performing professionally for 17 years and had released 10 albums and three re-recorded albums. Just to give you an idea of the relative experience of these two musical acts as they both bring versions of their shows to cinemas, Talking Heads with Stop Making Sense and Taylor Swift with The Era's Tour. It's a buzzy thing to watch them both this close together. In some ways, they couldn't be more different. Talking heads in a theatre with a capacity of 2,700, starting the show on an empty stage, a handful of roadies and stage crew and three 35mm slide projectors providing AV. Taylor Swift in a stadium housing 100,000 and with hundreds of stage crew, including 50 truck drivers who apparently all got a $100,000 bonus, you'll be pleased to know, and millions of tiny LED screens attached to every conceivable surface. What the shows have in common, however, is that they are both incredibly theatrical as well as musical experiences, using old-fashioned stage magic as well as technology to move their audiences. And both represent the state of the art for when they were performed. And it's going to be the movie versions that the world will remember, long after everyone who ever bought a ticket is gone. This has been the most extraordinary experience of my entire life. go on a little adventure together and that adventure is going to span 17 years of music how does that sound 
I could go on making parallels between these two shows forever, but I suspect my returns are already diminishing. So let's dig into the older of the two first. The Stop Making Sense shows was staged especially for Jonathan Demme's cameras, but it was a show that had been well honed by talking heads on the road, and the theatricality of it, the boombox opening, the slow entry of the band and staging, David Byrne's giant suit, had all been worked out by Byrne before the tour started. Demi's genius was to prioritise the cameras and not just shoot normal public concerts. That gave him a freedom in terms of audience sightlines and got the cameras in closer than we'd ever been before. The version that's going into cinemas this weekend is remarkable. It's never looked or sounded this good. The original 35mm elements were located in a warehouse in Oklahoma and then scanned in glorious grainy 4K. The band had wisely and bravely decided that the audio would be recorded in what at the time was an early multi-track digital technology. This has allowed Jerry Harrison to go back and remix the audio for the posh new Dolby Atmos format. And in a cinema with any kind of a decent sound system, it will have air and space and funk like it has never had before. Combined with Demi's close-ups, you're going to get an insight into the sheer musicianship that hasn't been available up to now. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You may find yourself... All of those are concerns that Taylor Swift hasn't had to worry about. The nature of her shows are that there will always be 40-plus cameras in attendance, many operated by remote control, so that they can put images on the screens for the little people at the back. And the sound mix has enough discrete channels that it can be endlessly remixed and tweaked for everyone in the venue, let alone a cinema audience eating their popcorn in reclining seats. She's putting on a different kind of show, but it's just as stage-managed and just as resistant to improvisation and ad-libbing as Burns' production was. Somehow the spectacle, mind-blowing though it is, never quite catches fire the way that Stop Making Sense does, at least for a big-screen audience. It's one layer of technical abstraction too many, I think, even though I'm sure the audience in the stadium is in a state of bliss throughout. And I know she's got twice the catalogue to get through than Talking Heads had at the time, but that means it's also twice as long a show to sit through. Something to consider if you're on the fence about her music. The Eras Tour is rated M for some offensive language and is in cinemas now. Stop Making Sense is rated G and opens across the country this weekend. And brace yourself, because Beyonce's Renaissance World Tour is coming to movie theatres later in December. This week's programme was written and produced by me, Dan Slevin, and engineered by Mark Chesterman. 
Simon Morris returns next week, so I hope you'll make a point of joining him at the same time here on RNZ National. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.